to No Baller. I'm Chris Rawl, and it is Wednesday, May 26th. On today's show, the proving ground of the playoffs, the razor-thin margin between winning and losing, and does the regular season even mean anything? Before we get to that, as is tradition on this show, a brief gambling tidbit. Last night, I bet on Dodgers-Astros. Took the Dodgers money line at minus 108. Clayton Kershaw against Zach Greinke. Having a grand old time, ready for the game. And it's tied at zeros. And who comes to the plate for the LA Dodgers but Albert Pujols, man who was recently signed to that team, who has a long storied career, one of the greats of all time, who's very old now and not the most fleet of foot. So he drills a grounder out to shortstop. And I'm invested in the Dodgers. And so it looks to me like it's going to be a close play at first because he's hit it out to the deep side of the field. And I'm going, come on, Albert, run, Albert, run. And they zip a throw over. And I'm ready for a nice play at first base. You know, one of those close ones where you can't tell if it's safe or out. And the first baseman catches it and I can't see anybody. And so at first I go, wow, Albert, he's the fastest person ever. He's already ran through the screen. What a great play by him. And slowly but surely, after a second or two, poor little Albert comes chugging in the screen. The little engine that couldn't. It was so jarring and I couldn't handle it. Because again, I was a Dodgers fan for a night. I thought it should be a play at first, and yet Albert Pujols turned into probably the slowest athlete I've ever seen in my life. Now, the story ends well because the Dodgers end up thumping on Houston, so I win my bet, but my main takeaway from the night, and why gambling should be legal in Utah, it will make you root, impossibly, for a man named Fat Albert to run the base paths. And now, a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your masquerading and you always call Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. We have stepped into the most important part of the year for the NBA and the NHL, the proving ground of the playoffs, where for better or worse, reputations are created and solidified. Uh, Last night, we have a plethora of playoff games at our disposal, Uh, and two NBA games really stood out to me. First, the Suns against the Lakers, which has turned into a series of many questions and those really revolving around injuries. For the Suns, Chris Paul gets injured in game one. He hurts his shoulder, and he seems like he is playing at substantially less than 100%, and that's greatly affecting what Phoenix can do on the court. Now, on the Lakers' side, we have LeBron James coming off of a high ankle sprain and playing from an athletic perspective a vastly diminished version of himself, one who can't really get to the basket, one who seems hesitant to drive and really trust the explosion that we know LeBron's first step at full strength has. So the Lakers end up winning last night, kind of one of those dig really deep and trust in your defense and Anthony Davis and LeBron still doing things and get some contributions from Dennis Schroeder. And one of those playoff wins that, you know, these championship style teams, they have to come across when things are maybe not set up for you to succeed. You kind of got to plow through and do that. And now Phoenix is facing a similar style question. Uh, what kind of team can we be without Chris Paul or with a 
50% version of Chris Paul. What does Devin Booker need to do? What do we need from DeAndre Ayton? What do we need from our role players? What can campaign continue to provide? All these questions, right? This is what the proving ground of the playoffs is all about. It's about that question and answer, question and answer, going back and forth, back and forth. Simultaneous to that game, uh, we watch the Clippers Mavericks. uh, (laughs) And the Clippers go down 2-0. They've lost both games at home. Luka is doing whatever he wants on that court. And the Clippers are slowly inching towards the place that they were last year, the place that they swore they would never be again, which is this incredible playoff failure, uh, these choke artists to the extreme degree, and just a really strange mismatch of a lot of talent on one hand, but talent that hasn't really manifested itself on the other hand, especially in the playoffs. This is where the proving ground concept comes into play, because we can watch a team like the Clippers in the regular season last year and the regular season this year, and you can see potential. And you go Kawhi and Paul George That's a really good combination to have, and that makes a lot of sense in a playoff series. And yet, last year it didn't, and now here we are two games into the Dallas series, and we're seeing a similar theme, that there's something off, and it's really hard to kind of pinpoint what that is. Is it a chemistry issue? Is it an on-court fit issue? Do the LA Clippers role players just need to step up, and then everything would be okay? Does Paul George need to provide more? Can you ask more from Kawhi Leonard when he's scoring 41 points last night and doing Kawhi things? It's the question and answer stuff that we get in the playoffs that's incredibly fascinating. And you ask those questions and get enough answers over the course of time, and that's how we get a player's reputation or a team's reputation and really how it's solidified. Uh, So, as listeners of this show know, I get a little uh, freaked out when this happens to the extreme degree. Because I'm of the opinion that one player in a team sport always has minimal control over what can happen in a game or in a series. That's the one thing that I constantly talk about in sports. Uh, And I find it really frustrating that your casual fan or sometimes even your hardcore fan and a lot of media members cover sports in that really binary way. If you won, then you have a good playoff reputation. Your team lost, then you have a bad playoff reputation, and there's really no room for nuance or discussion. Uh, And I try to go the other way. I like watching the games and the series and careers and forming opinions based on what I'm seeing and understanding about that individual player's impact outside of whether or not the team wins or loses. So about two weeks ago, I recorded an episode about how we judge individual success, uh, really in the regular season, with eyes towards the playoffs. And I concentrated on two players, Steph Curry in the NBA and Connor McDavid in the NHL. And now is a really interesting time to revisit this whole discussion because it has gone in a path that I predicted it would and understood it would because this is how narratives usually exist within sports and how they are structured. So let's start with Steph Curry, the one-man island, a dude who just pieced together possibly the finest offensive season of his career uh, and was greatly celebrated for doing so, and rightfully so. They make the play-in. He's awesome against the Lakers, uh, believe 37 points in that game. They fall short. LeBron drills a crazy three, and that's the margin of victory. 
So they go and they play Memphis. And again, Curry is superb. He scores 39 in that game. And Golden State falls in overtime. Another tight game back and forth where the margin is just, it's a Grayson Allen three here. It's an Andrew Wiggins miss there. And that's how these really uh, hardline opinions are, are formed. Okay. When the Golden State Warriors go out, they don't make the playoffs. And nobody really cared because we understood this team is not very good. Curry has played incredibly. He's done everything that you could possibly expect from a player in his position. Uh, and, and we realized that this was a spectacular season to be a part of and to watch. And I think that nobody is really arguing those points, which I like. Uh, that's the correct way of looking at Steph Curry's season. However, that's tied into something that I noted in, in the prior episode, which is we've seen Curry win at the highest level in the past. When a player wins at the highest level, we can give them leeway in the rest of their career. So team success doesn't fall upon their shoulders because we know Curry can win an NBA title with the correct pieces in place. He's already done that. And so when he doesn't have the correct pieces and he still balls out, we can celebrate that for what it is. We can say, Curry, this is another feather in your cap. Uh, And we don't have to think that those two concepts are at war with one another. So we transition to Connor McDavid of the Edmonton Oilers. And I want to start with a quote from Sam Amick of The Athletic. As we enter these 2021 playoffs, with some living legends looking to add to their title count and others trying to escape the infamy that comes if you don't win at least one, let's take some time to remember that a player's body of work in the postseason should be a pivotal part of his legacy. What happened at the end of each playoff run may matter the most, but it's not the only thing that should be remembered, end quote. So I would take this even a step further, and I would say you can include the regular season within this discussion. We hone in on how did the season end. If you lost, that's a reflection on you, the individual. And there's not a lot of room for nuance to comprehend what was the body of work within those playoffs and what was the body of work within the regular season. And this is greatly frustrating because if you watch sports, you like to look at it from the 2,000 foot view. You go, oh man, Steph Curry, what a great season. Oh yeah, it did end in defeat, but you know, there was a lot of great things that went into this season. So we arrive at Connor McDavid, the most gifted offensive player in hockey, the most gifted offensive player I have watched in my lifetime. Uh, And I think everybody pretty much agrees he's the best player in hockey. Now he plays on the Edmonton Oilers, who two nights ago lost game four to the Winnipeg Jets to lose in a sweep. Uh, The last three games ended in overtime. Game four itself ended in triple overtime. Very small margin, even within a sweep. I want everybody to keep that in mind as we go through this episode. McDavid finishes the series with four points, point per game. So now we're at a place where in six NHL seasons, McDavid and the Oilers have made the playoffs three times. Swept by the Jets this year. Again, in a series that the last three games ended in overtime. Last year against the Blackhawks, they lose 3-1 in the bubble. And McDavid scores nine points in four games. And in his second year in the league, the Oilers make the second round of the playoffs. They lose in game seven to Anaheim. And over the course of 13 games in those playoffs, Nick David finishes with nine points. So we're talking about an over point per game player in the playoffs 
who has not found a lot of team success. So, two weeks ago, when I recorded the first episode, I talked about how McDavid had an incredible regular season. And people were talking about it in these historical terms and how incredible it was. And I said, I like that people are celebrating this at the time, but I know how this kind of stuff works for a player who has not won on the highest stage. When they get to the playoffs and their team crumbles around them and they lose, this is something that will be held against them. So McDavid is now probably the number one litmus test in sports for how harshly you think an individual player should be judged for their team's failings. Because half of the hockey world is piling on. They say, this guy, he's incredibly gifted, but he is not a winning player. He cannot make his team win. The very best players, they will their team to victory, and Connor McDavid's not that. He puts up all these numbers, and he puts up the highlights, but when push comes to shove... He gets swept out of the playoffs by the Jets, and this guy is a loser. That's half the hockey world. And the other half, which I'm a part of, they say, this guy is as gifted as anybody that I've watched, and this team does not do him justice. So we're following a shockingly similar cycle of fan discussion and media discussion when it comes to greats within any individual sport. We ran through this with LeBron James till he ended up winning a title against Oklahoma City in 2012. First eight years of his career, LeBron was doing similar feats to McDavid every single season in the regular season and in the playoffs. And he would drag Cleveland as far as he possibly could. And they would lose and they would lose and they would lose. And he was the litmus test. If you believed in this Stone Age caveman way of thinking that one player can control everything and their team's failings are the individual's failings, then you said, this person's a clown and they're a loser. And if you were on my side, you said, if LeBron ever gets adequate pieces and team and coaching around him, he's going to win championships. He's just too gifted of a player to not. And we've seen that over the last decade. We've seen this psycho with Peyton Manning and the Colts for years and years Uh, And he was judged for having great regular seasons and dragging the Colts to the playoffs and not winning the Super Bowl because his team just couldn't support him in the way that measured up to his talents. We've seen it in individual sports with Phil Mickelson, who just won the PGA Championship last weekend, who for years and years at the start of his career was one of the most gifted golfers, but didn't win majors for a long time. And people ended up turning on Phil because what was this incredible talent And somebody who was winning constantly at these PGA Tour events, because he didn't win majors, the the highest level winner, everybody said, well, he's just, he lacks it. He's not an actual winner. There's something lacking intrinsically within him that prevents him from doing so. Despite the fact that we could watch his talent and know sooner or later, a person like this has to break through. And and indeed, now Phil has won six majors, including last weekend as a 50-year-old, the oldest major winner in golf history. So back to McDavid. I'm going to read a quote from Daniel Nugent Bowman of The Athletic. McDavid racked up 105 points in a 56-game season, giving him the ninth greatest offensive season in NHL history, per hockey reference. He also completely overhauled his two-way game. He was a positive defensive player when it comes to both expected goals against and shot attempt differential, of course against, per 60 minutes. 
for the first time in his career, according to Evolving Hockey. He's going to add more hardware to his trophy case. He already has his third Art Ross trophy in the bag and will soon see two others, the Hart and Ted Lindsay, barring something completely unforeseen. But everything he accomplished feels less meaningful now. The regular season doesn't mean anything, McDavid said. End quote. The regular season doesn't mean anything. So I don't fault McDavid for saying this because what he says publicly is going to be shaped by how we discuss these players' career. You would hear similar stuff from LeBron in the early stages of his career. Uh, and, and I don't agree with the statement whatsoever because the regular season means a lot when it comes to the 2,000-foot view uh, in determining how good a player is, how good a team is around him. It's more information that you can take in rather than watching one playoff game and saying McDavid didn't have a point in this game and his team lost. He must be a total piss pants. You can watch a season. You can watch years of a team and understand, A, Connor McDavid is as good as anybody in hockey, and B, this team does not have the depth or the talent around him to make a really deep playoff run. I look at the Edmonton Oilers and I ask people who watch hockey, and I think everybody would agree with me. I say, does anybody expect this Edmonton Oilers team to make a run in the playoffs? Does anybody have grand plans for postseason success for this team? A team with an incredibly shaky defensive core and Mike Smith in net. And from a forward perspective, it's Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and a couple other people who are, who are talented, but no depth whatsoever. That's really, really hard and almost impossible to advance consistently in the playoffs with a team structured like that in hockey. A lack of defense, a lack of goaltending, a lack of forward depth. Those are the three most important things to have as a playoff hockey team. And we have a grasp of that because we watched the regular season. We've watched six seasons of Connor McDavid's career in Edmonton. We know this organization is a tire fire. We know that they have not pieced together a roster that is an adequate roster. If we didn't have Connor McDavid on that team, I think people would understand how big of a garbage dump the Edmonton Oilers have been as an organization for the duration of his career. And yet because McDavid has played awesome hockey and dragged them to whatever form of success they found through the course of his career, we hold him accountable for the team's failings. The regular season for me is important in this way. It shows you who gives a shit. Uh, the NBA struggles greatly with people who want to play basketball consistently in the regular season, and it's turned into a sport that is just about the playoffs. You could not watch the regular season for long periods of time and come into the playoffs, and you wouldn't have missed much, except for certain players. Because I think about the quote, the regular season doesn't mean anything, and I go, I disagree with that, and a person who comes to mind is Chris Paul who plays for the Phoenix Suns, who is now injured in that series, and it's probably going to be another playoff failure, and people are going to pile onto him. And the number one thing that I look at Chris Paul's career and think of is that dude gives a shit, and he has had a lack of playoff success, and people will judge him immensely for that. And yet in a league where not a lot of people care in the regular season, Chris Paul continually, at every single place he has played, Start of his career with the Hornets, with the Los Angeles Clippers, with the Houston Rockets, with the Oklahoma City Thunder, now with the Phoenix Suns. He's made every single team better that he has gone to. 
And within each regular season, that dude has brought it. And he has rallied every single team he is on and said, we're not going to do what every other team is doing. Uh, I think two years ago of him going to the Oklahoma City Thunder, a team that was projected to be at the very top of the lottery board chart. Their win-loss total in Vegas going to that season was the bottom five of the NBA. People expected them to be garbage. And Chris Paul went to a young roster that going in, we said, this doesn't really have a lot of talent. And Chris Paul gave a shit. And he said, we are trying as hard as we can. And I know that this season is just supposed to be about tanking. And I know that almost any other star player in the NBA, if they came into this situation, they would putter around. They would get fat like James Harden did this season. They would demand a trade. And they would go to a position that would allow them a better chance at a championship. And I look at Chris Paul and I go, this is a very admirable thing because that dude went to Oklahoma City and he gave everything to make that team make the playoffs. They lost in the first round of the Rockets and the crowd that doesn't like Chris Paul and the crowd that piles onto people and individuals who lose in the playoffs, they said, ha, another first round playoff exit for Chris Paul. What a joke. The dude, uh, he hasn't even done anything. He's made one conference finals. Uh, he's just, he's not a playoff player. And I look at it and I say, this bothers me greatly because in a league where people don't care about the regular season, this dude cares and he makes his teammates care and he makes them a better version of themselves. And for one reason or another, sometimes because he hasn't played as well, sometimes because he's been injured and sometimes just because of random chance, he hasn't seen that success in the postseason. But a takeaway for his career is going to be that. It's going to be this guy made the regular season mean something. I'm going to read another quote from Daniel Nugent Bowman of The Athletic. The margin for error between winning and losing in the playoffs, at least in this series, is razor thin. It's the little mistakes. It's just the little ones, McDavid said. It's not earth-shattering stuff here. We talked about those lessons we've learned over the years, and this is another to take forward. End quote. I talk about this a lot on the show, and I'll continually do so, especially as we're watching within the playoffs where we create these uh, overarching, grand, sweeping conclusions about a player off of a game or a series. A razor-thin margin between winning and losing. It is mind-blowing when you watch it play out again and again. And I'm not talking about watching a few Sports Center highlights after Game 7 of a series or waiting for the playoffs to be over and going, okay, who won last year? Oh, the Lakers were champions. Okay, that seems like it's another feather in the cap for all these people. And who lost? Oh, okay, uh, the Miami Heat. Well, they're losers, that kind of stuff. I'm talking about when you watch every single game of a series or every single game of a playoff. It is shocking how much random chance comes into play, and how razor thin the margins are between a win and a loss. Just over the last week, I come every night to this place and I watch as many games as I can because I love doing that. And I find this razor thin margin fascinating and I like gambling and rooting. And I watch so many games. And just as I'm thinking about this, they come to mind. I say last Saturday, the Bucks and the Heat play game one of their playoff series. And it's back and forth, crazy shot after crazy shot. Butler at the end of regulation to send it to overtime, even though he's four for 22 in the game. And if they won, that would be a feather in his cap. Gorn Dragic drills a three near the end of overtime to tie it up. And now the Bucks are puckered up. And oh wait, Chris Middleton, he hits a tough jumper right at the buzzer, essentially, 
to win the game for the Bucks. The margin is so thin in that game. And coming out of it now, we can start to make conclusions. Okay, this is a new Milwaukee team. They're not like last year when they folded against Miami. Miami, there's a little bit of stink to them this year compared to last year. I'm not sure what that is. And yet, if one tiny thing moves in either direction and the Heat win, we have completely different takes on a game that the only thing that would change is this, that razor-thin margin. I think about game three of the Capitals and the Bruins, a game that I bet on, I was rooting for the Capitals in, and in double overtime, Ilya Samsonov, the goaltender for the Capitals, he goes behind his net, and he misplays the puck, he has a miscommunication with his defenseman, and he starts skating off, Craig Smith zips in from the Bruins, grabs it, stuffs it in the net, game over, Bruins up 2-1, they go on to win the series 4-1, it's a razor-thin margin, uh, two nights ago, game five of the Capitals, or game five of the Islanders and the Penguins, another game that I bet on, it's a 2-2 series, it's overtime of Game five, you're just sitting there on pins and needles because you can feel how much this game is going to mean to either team. You're now up 3-2 with a chance to close out the series in game six, which is tonight. We go into overtime, and Tristan Jari of the Penguins, their goaltender, he gets the puck, and he has time and space. (laughs) And for reasons unknown, he surveys the scene and just has a brain cramp at the worst possible time. And he tries to feed the puck directly through the center of the ice. And Josh Bailey, a player for the Islanders, he's skating full speed ahead, and he catches it coming into the zone. And he flips the puck into the net over Jari, who's just almost stunned there, like his brain went into shock. That's the margin between winning and losing. These are the things that happen, and now we can make grand sweeping judgments about, well, maybe Sidney Crosby can't win anymore as much as he used to, or what's going on with Evgeny Malkin? And if it had happened the other way, you know, if the Islanders misplay a puck in their zone and someone on Pittsburgh grabs it and stuffs it in the net. Now we're asking the same questions of a lot of the Islanders players. What does this mean for Matthew Barzell? What does this mean for the way that the Islanders play hockey? This low event style of defensive grinded out. Is this really something that you want? Can this fly against the most talented players in the world? A forward core like the Penguins have? The margins are almost incomprehensible. And so as we watch the playoffs, I'm really super aware of this. And I always want people to notice this as they watch and as they come up with their own opinions. And as they say, this person is good or this person is bad. I always say, take a step back and think about this. The margin between winning and losing is nearly nothing in these games that are super high level, super high intensity. You know, it's an injury at the wrong time. It's a ball rattling in and out like Mike Conley against the Nuggets in Game 7. It's an ice-cold shooting night like the Jazz in Game 1 against the Grizzlies. It's the puck hitting the post at the wrong time. It's questionable referee decisions. I could go on and on and on. There's so many things. So when we talk about the proving ground of the playoffs and we form these hardline judgments about players and teams based on the outcome of these games, this is what we're talking about. You know, that razor-thin margin between winning and losing that is so, so, so small, it's almost incomprehensible. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, 
please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.